everybody. Recording Studio Loser Podcast. Resident Loser, Jeremy. Back at it again. You know, I'm, I'm going to continue to record these, but these uh, last couple months are staying awfully busy, so finally found time to sit down and do one of these again, and I want to talk about something it seems like a lot of people struggle with, at least from what I see in my side of the desk here. Um, musicians who come in, you know, whether it's metal, whether it's country, whether it's rock, a lot of guys don't know how to tune their guitars, or rather how to keep them in tune, and what to do for proper recording in the first place. So, that's what we're going to talk about. So, I guess we can start this off by saying there is a fantastic episode uh, over at Recording Lounge Podcast. Kendall talks about... Uh, tuning issues on guitar. He goes into a lot of detail about it. Go check out that episode. It's fantastic. It will not disappoint. Uh, I heard that right before I sat down to actually do this one. But man, it's go give him. That's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, Recording Lounge. Um, it's just good stuff. So go take a listen and tell him I said hello. Don't do that. He won't know who I am. <laughs> So where is this coming from? Um, it seems like when you're recording guitar in the studio, um, it can go one of two ways, really, really well or really, really bad. Uh, and there's a few things that are key contributors to that, um, the player and the instrument. Uh, you can, I feel like you can record almost anything with almost any amplifier provided it's a decent amplifier in good repair however guitars whether they are thousands of dollars or whether they are a couple hundred dollars they all react differently to tuning and isn't that one of the inherent things about this instrument we love to hate it does not want to stay in tune for anything so (laughs) let's talk about that like I said, go check out Recording Lounge Podcast. Uh, take a listen. He goes into a lot of detail about the uh, things you can do um, to better the tuning of your guitar and things to kind of avoid. Um, and he'll go through those in a lot more detail. But really quickly, I think a lot of guys just don't know how to tune their guitars. Um, and it was nice to hear Kendall talk about it because he kind of reaffirmed things that I just did that I didn't know other people did as well. So I'm like, hey, good, we're doing something right over here. Um, when you're tuning your guitar, tune it like you play it. Some guys will just go crazy on the low on on any string they're trying to tune. Ba 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 ba. You're not gonna get an accurate tune that way. You're not letting the string get to its ideal position. You're not. You're hopefully you're not playing your guitar part like that. Ba 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 ba. Just. <laughs> It's not going to sound good. Um, So tune like you play and always approach the pitch from below. Uh, I always think if you're coming down to the pitch, like if if your E string is sharp and you're coming down uh, to get it into tune, there's a lot that can happen. Like if if the nut on the guitar uh, isn't, 
if, it, if it's sticking too much or especially on the uh, wrapped strings if if it sticks too much they during a performance can just kind of pop out and then that pitch will dive below your desired intended pitch so a couple of things to avoid when you have an instrument that is um i guess high on the high side of the pitch um always approach it from the bottom once i tune down I'll get it below the pitch. I'll actually, I'll kind of pull the string and shake it a little bit just to get it, you know, if there's any, anything going on at the tuning peg or anything at the nut, I've just, I've equalized all that stuff out so that when I come back up and tune it back up, there's equal tension everywhere. And that's kind of how you want to approach that. That's what I've found to be successful. Um, other than that, like, yeah, other things that can really hurts you or how you grip the guitar some dudes have uh just a death grip on this thing and it's just never gonna sit in tune uh, have so many weird things that happen with a guitar if your neck is just bent if your bridge isn't set up right you know you're just gonna have all sorts of problems all over the neck so it really helps you, especially if you're going into the studio, go get it set up. A huge one, don't go and buy a new guitar just to take it to the studio. Not even if it's a high dollar new guitar. I had somebody somebody bring in a guitar they had just purchased, probably the night before or two nights before, I don't recall. Um, didn't change the strings, didn't do anything. I mean, this thing was a nightmare. I have no idea how old those strings were, but they sounded like garbage. And this guy couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. I mean, it sounded bad. I wanted him to use another guitar, any other guitar, any guitar I had at the studio at the time. Um, And he didn't want to because he had just spent thousands on this brand new guitar and he couldn't understand why it wasn't going to work. He's like, wait, I just spent all this money on this amazing instrument. Why can't we use it? And I feel like there's that block with a lot of people. If you have a nice guitar, it's just automatically going to work all the time. And that's not the case at all. You can have an awfully cheap guitar. And if you treat it well and it's set up properly and you know how to play it and how to tune it, that thing will treat you right for a long, long time. (laughs) It's just one of those things. I think acoustics are the easiest thing to see this in acoustic guitars if you go to a guitar store um and play all sorts of different guitars even if it's the same um company and the same price range uh you'll notice vast differences even with the same model um i mean insert whatever you want martin's taylor's there's of the same build and the same price bracket you will have certainly a pick of the litter um most of the time I have been shopping before had a budget in mind and picked the cheaper guitar because it sounded better. Money doesn't equal a better instrument. Now in some cases it does. Um, I'll admit I'm, I'm a PRS nut. I got a, uh, a custom 22, a 20th, uh, what is it? 20th anniversary, I believe. Um, just a fantastic guitar. And when back when I got it, I don't think I appreciated exactly what it was. Um, it, even now, uh, probably 10, 15 years later, 
I still have that guitar. And as my other guitars have come and gone, I've held on to this guitar. And consistently, I haven't had to do anything to it. it it's always in tune. It always feels great. It's the most consistent instrument I've ever had. And it actually got me to uh, want to grab another one. And I did. <laughs> um, and no surprise, this one is just as good. <laughs> it, I got a, this one's a single cut. And um, this is a different sound, but that build quality is there. Uh, I mean, the frets are in amazing condition. It was used, uh, it's actually older than the other one I have, and they're just unbelievable guitars. If you can get it out of the case after it's been shipped and the thing is still in tune, I mean, that that speaks volumes right there. Not, not that that should be the only litmus test for if a guitar is good or not, but I it will, it will stay in tune wherever you put it um, better than a lot of other guitars. I feel like my, my Gretsch's, uh, and the PRSs are just, for some reason, out of the box. They're they're awesome. I have a um, an Electromatic. Is that what it is? Electromatic, the big hollow body, single cut Gretsch thing. <laughs> not not an expensive guitar, um, but just like the PRSs, it just played fantastic. I mean, there's certainly a little thing to do, some things you can do to it to make it better, and you have to kind of keep up on the maintenance just like anything else but uh, to a much lower degree with these guitars and and I love them. I mean, I I will always love my Telecaster, but it does not I feel like it doesn't hold tune as well as um some of my other instruments. Um uh, but darn it, I love a Telecaster. <laughs> so I'm going to keep it. So uh, having a good instrument and having it in good repair making sure that the nut is lubricated enough that the string can flow through there freely so you don't get snags. And then when you go to down pick or up pick really hard, that it's not going to just pitch dive because there was all this tension on the tuning peg side of the guitar. Uh, that'll help. I mean, just these little things that a lot of people don't necessarily think about that can contribute so highly to how well your guitar responds to what you're going to do. So, Anyway, go check out Recording Lounge Podcast. He goes into uh, an exhaustive amount of detail, and it's fantastic. It's good stuff. Go check that out. Um, the other thing, know your part. <laughs> your hands aren't going to lie to you uh, in this situation. If, if you get into the studio and you immediately have forgotten all of your parts, chances are you didn't know them well when you came in. Um, and... It's embarrassing, and I don't like to do it if I have to grab a guitar in a session because part of my job is to make sure that the client doesn't spend over their budget, and I hate it when that happens because they get stressed, I get stressed, am I going to get paid? I don't know, but we've agreed on this number, so <laughs> I'm going to try to make sure the record gets finished, the song, the record, the EP, whatever we're doing gets finished in that amount of time. So if I see something is just going down in flames, I'm going to politely ask if I can grab your instrument and maybe I can try to play it. Sometimes it doesn't work because although I can play, maybe I can't play this song. Sometimes it's it's good enough to pass. Um, and to a certain point, there's no shame in this. Like this happens all the time. 
recording, especially if you're new, if you've never gone through the process before and you just truly don't know, you know, if your preparation wasn't in line with what you wanted out of the project, something has to give at that point. And a lot of times you're giving your instrument to someone else to play it. Um, but most, I, I will say most of the people that's happened to, um, that have come back, I have never had to grab their instrument again because they've, they really buckled down. And I think there's a good way to do that. And there's a bad way to do that. If, if you're talking to somebody and you're like, look, this is just, it's not going to get done. If, we're going to stay here all day and try to figure out these 20 seconds or I can just play it and we're done in 20 seconds. You know, um, sometimes there, there's a little trickery you can do if it's just a riff that's way too fast. Um, you know, sometimes you can record it at half speed and double it up. I hate to do that, but it has happened. Um, but just knowing how to play your parts will make this so much better. And I think guitar players and bass players are notoriously the least prepared um, in the group. And mo I think most of the time it's because guitar players um, have normally a kind of a... They think they're better than they are some of the time. Not all the time. <laughs> um, I know in some cases, you know, there's been times where I am way too confident in what I'm trying to do. So I come across not as prepared, but I've learned from those issues and I practice quite a bit if I have something coming up that I have to do. And if I fall flat on my face during rehearsal, you better believe when I show up for the actual thing, <laughs> I'm going to know how to do it. Uh, and sometimes we all need those kicks in the pants and you need reality checks every now and then and those are fine. But if you're paying to record a record, hopefully you know your song. Hopefully you know your solos. Uh, why does this happen? Uh, guitar players will come in and they'll just make up a solo. Or the guys that'll say, uh, I'll never play that the same way again. Why not? You're making a record. You're going to tour on this record. Is it going to be different every night? Like, <laughs> this is a guitar-heavy record. You're going to have guitar players who want to learn that solo and then go and hear it live and it's going to be different every night? What? <laughs> now, for some bands, this absolutely works. And there's a certain part of, like, when you play a record live, sometimes I want it to be different and then be in the spirit of the album. But I'm, I'm more talking about the musicians that use it as a crutch because they don't really know what they did or how they did it. They were just playing as fast as they could, and it just happened to be the notes that were in the key of the song, so we kept it. That's the unfortunate stuff. <laughs> um, but then again, like a, all rules meant to be broken, sometimes those are the magical takes. You know, it's, uh, this whole thing's a catch-22. What do we even do this for? Uh, the other thing, moving on here, be open to use other instruments. Um, and there's there's a few things here that I want to hit home with. Um, a lot of guys have their one prized guitar, uh, and that is fine. I certainly have one guitar I reach for all the time. Um, but you have to also weigh this out. Um, is that guitar's sound right for 
the amp we're using at the time? Is it right with the cab we're using at the time? Or how it's mic'd up? More than that, is it right for this song in this moment? You know, if you've got this super high output uh, EMG pickups on a single cut, it's just super beefy thing, and you're trying to make this really, really intimate, really percussive sounding guitar, that chances are you may want to reach for uh, a Tele or or a Strat. You know, <laughs> um, they're just different. No, no one is right, but having that open mind to let the song become what it wants to become and let that lead your sonic decisions, you have to have that open mind. And I think all too often we kind of beat ourselves down by saying, this is my sound. That puts people in such a box. Like, nothing is more infuriating than that statement. That's just my sound. Because more often than not, it's used as a band-aid. Because you don't want, you either don't want to fix what's going wrong and you just claim that's your sound, <laughs> or I don't, I don't know. But it's, it, it can really put the brakes on a creative moment um, or a chance to learn something uh, when you're like, that's just how I am. Sorry. I'm not, I'm not willing to learn anything in this moment. And that, and that's it. That's where we, that's where we stop. You know, if a drummer comes in with his head's more duct tape than drum head, and that's just my sound, well, oh, awesome. So you sound like poop. <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's, it's always an odd comment. I've never quite understood it. That's just my sound. Well, how, how do you know? You've never played, you never brought your equipment into this room and played it through this mic, and played it through this preamp with this song. You've never done that. How do you know that's your sound? That might be your sound live, but if you want to take your idea of your sound and put it in this context where in the studio everything's under such a microscope anyway, you know, maybe it's not jiving with the kick drum, so we need to change something very small about your bass guitar, and then we need to change something very small about... The rhythm guitars, and then that will dictate what we do with the vocals. So if you come in with this mindset, no, this is my sound, I'm not going to change anything, you can really derail the whole process. Um, and it's just unfortunate. Like anything that kills creativity in that moment, it's it's such a bummer. You know, it's, a, it's a, such a huge letdown, and I think mm, mm, nothing gets me going more than that, I don't think. Boom. So, uh, and the last thing I kind of wanted to get into was amps uh, versus DIs versus um, modelers, like Kemper, XFX, stuff like this. Um, I love amps. I love tube amps. I said it. There it is. Deal with it. There's just something that jumps out of a record when you have a great player on a great guitar on a great amp recorded in a great way and all these organic things are happening um on on just a fantastic song there's just nothing that can replace that that said <laughs> um i am the recent uh new father of a uh, kemper so i was i've spent some time with it now and i have to say i'm surprised 
and a little disappointed all at the same time. Disappointed because um, I've spent all this time playing guitar. Uh, I was a guitar player before anything else. So, and a bad guitar player for years, by the way. Um, it, collecting all of this stuff, all these amps, all these pedals, these different guitars, um, these special cables, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of voodoo in, in what we do and what we do do. Um, after playing with the Kemper and getting a tone, okay, so let me, let me start from the top here. Got the Kemper, played with it for a little bit. It was pretty cool. I was like, okay, well, let's see what the hype's about. So I had a uh, guitar tone set up um, on one of my, the PRS amp into an orange cap and had it mic'd up, three different mics. Everything was phase aligned, uh, all that stuff. It was a really, really cool tone. It was um, it was unique, let me say that. <laughs> I wanted to see what the profiling process looked like. Uh, and I, So I profiled it. Um, went back and forth, A, being it, and I was, I was shocked. <laughs> I was shocked. Um, and to go past even how accurate the sound was, um, was the, the touch sensitivity of it. I think if I close my eyes and I'm going back and forth, um, on this A being the real amp, the Kemper, the real amp, the Kemper, I don't, I can't feel the difference. And then it sounds weird, but I think most guitar players, bass players, anybody uh, instrumentalist would know that, that the feeling you get from a good instrument, a good amp, whatever, it kind of, it plays with you. It'll like push and pull right along with you. Um, and you feel how it reacts and you kind of get the sense that, I don't, well, I mean, it really does. It changes based on how you touch the instrument. And I felt like the Kemper really did that. Um, that blew me away. That alone <laughs> would have been the price of admission, I feel like. Um, but I also gigged it and I didn't take my massive, really heavy, really expensive pedal board. <laughs> I just used, I wanted to see if I could get away with just using Kemper, uh, effects with the, with the remote. I, <laughs> it was stupid. It was, it was, it was good. It was very, very good. I think there's certain pedals that you just can't replace. Um, the ones with just some crazy character or just these weird effects. Um, you can't replace those. However, if you have, if you're a relatively simple player, you know, maybe I've got a preamp, I've got uh, a compressor, an overdrive one for one I use as a boost, one I use as some like some grit, uh, a delay pedal and a reverb pedal. Every one of those things can get replaced. Uh, on my board, um, the only thing I could not replicate was my uh, the API preamp on it. And honestly, playing that thing live, it's so heavy uh, that I don't even really want it to live on the pedal board anyway it it really shines in the studio i love that pedal um but it is a pain to carry around to a live show but everything else um a compressor i have uh 
tube screamer, a couple tube screamers. Um, another overdrive I kind of just basically use as a, as a boost because it has this really cool sparkle on top. Like just when I need to get over the top just a little bit more. Um, the obligatory expensive delay and reverb pedals. <laughs> uh, a volume pedal and uh, and a pog. Um, honestly... I mean, you have to go in and do a little bit of work, um, just like if you were setting up a pedal board from scratch. Like these things just don't sound great right off the bat. But if you put all those pedals onto one board right off the bat, they're not going to sound great. Um, so if you go into something like this with that mindset, you're going to be shocked at what you can come out with. Um, like I said, I I'm I'm tickled at how good. It was, but I'm also really disappointed because who doesn't like their gear, you know? I suppose it's good. I can get rid of, you know, some of these things that I just have around for those uh, kind of the one-trick pony things and, and not feel bad about it because I have something I can go to really cool with the Kemper. Um, the other thing really cool about it, I can get the tones off of uh, people's records that we record here so that when they come back, um, we can start from where they were. Now, you know, maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe they just want to take those profiles and use them live. They can do that. It's just, it's really neat. And I really didn't want to like, didn't want to like it. Uh, and I fought it for for years because, I mean, this the Kemper's not new by any means. But holy cow. It's pretty cool. And I, one thing I will say, um, the you know before grabbing one, there was a lot of mixed reviews on it. Um, and I think one thing I did I did notice there were a couple guys talking about it, and they mentioned how they primarily use uh, software based um, amps and amp sims. Uh, like within the DAW, within Pro Tools or or what Logic, whatever they're running, um, and not to shoot those things down, they're just different. They're very different. I think I there's one record I I made um, that I specifically used only DAW based amp simps just to see if I could do it. Um, no, I didn't want to uh, risk the quality of that album, but I wanted to see if it could pass, and uh, I did it. I didn't necessarily like the process because it wasn't nearly as inspirational or um, I didn't feel like it was as touch sensitive as I would have liked to have been, but I, it was cool in the end. It sounded neat. Um, but that process of playing in it, if that's your only experience with playing, uh, using software stuff, you're not going to like something like the Kemper because frankly, it acts like a real amp. It feels like an amp. And the thing I appreciate about it, it's, it's only as good as the profile you're using on it. Uh, when I say that, for those who are unfamiliar with the Kemper, you basically have snapshots. You can think of them as a, a picture of your amp. Um, you're not going to get, like uh, like most software amp sims, you're not going to get this full, flexible sound from one profile. Uh, now, if it's a very ultra meticulously profiled amp with just the best miking technique it's going to be awfully flexible however you're not what you're not going to get is one profile um of say just 
I don't know, just tossing something out there like a JCM 800 with the gain all the way down. Like this, this very, very clean tone from one profile. You're not going to get something ultra, ultra clean. And then also very convincing with a super heavy distortion sound. Uh, there is a gain knob on the Kemper and you can lower and raise the gain on it. However, it if you push the gain <laughs> on this uh, much farther than, you know, like one, two, three notches, and you can probably get away with a little more. But if you start to get into that amount of pushing it, like it, it, it becomes quite obvious that it's fake. Um, but that's not what it, it doesn't claim to be able to model an entire amplifier in every sweepable thing. It takes a profile, like a picture of where you're at right now. And why I think that's useful, um, many players who use tube amps can relate to this. There's normally one, maybe two sweet spots on a tube amp. Uh, and once you find it, you rarely deviate from that. So once you've dialed in your amp and you have it sounding as good as it possibly can sound in its sweet spot, why would you change it, right? Most of the time you you dial it in, and especially if it's a single channel or if it's a multiple, multiple channel amp, you dial in each respective channel. So essentially you have like two amps there. If you can think about it like that, like a, like a triple rectifier, you have basically three amplifiers. Each one has a separate sweet spot. Uh, on my Mark V, um, there's three channels there, and then within each channel, there's three other like sub-channels, I guess. <laughs> three other modes of each one of these channels. So essentially, there's nine amplifiers, and each one has its own sweet spot. So, <laughs> uh, and even with those amplifiers, I'm not going to set all the knobs on all of those channels exactly the same way and expect them all to sound awesome. That's not going to happen. You have to find the sweet spot with each one of these things respectively and then use your taste to decide which one you like. And just like if you take that mentality to the Kemper and you're taking a profile of the sweet spots of all of your amps, you essentially have that amp and that sound on that cab and that mic and that pre forever. That's pretty cool to me. <laughs> um one disclaimer i haven't i haven't downloaded a whole lot of uh other profiles out there i know there's a lot um what i did do was just to kind of see what was out there and test the waters i did download whatever free profiles um or i think S S T L S T L S L T. oh man i don't know um i think it's stl tones uh they had a free profile out. It was pretty cool. Uh, Mix Berlin has a free AC30, which was awesome. Um, and I tried out some of the Michael Britt stuff, which, holy cow, it's fantastic. And then I also tried some really, really bad ones. <laughs> um, but it, it just comes back to, like, I think you're going to have a bad experience with the Kemper, if you are if you don't already know how to dial in a tone, uh, if you're not familiar with how to work an actual amplifier, you're gonna have a bad time. Um, and I don't think the Axe FX and the Kemper. I don't think one is better than the other. I've had Axe FXs in here 
for bands recording, and they're great, frankly, but I think they do two different jobs. I don't think one's better than the other. It's just like, what? where are you coming at this from? Maybe the guy who hated the Kemper, who was more used to the software amp sims, maybe he would love the XFX because I'm, I'm speaking from zero experience. Uh, I've never owned an XFX. I've played with them before. Uh, and I, it was fun, <laughs> but it's, it's different from what I remember. Uh, it's just a different experience. The Kemper is something, uh, it does a different job. If I, I don't want to say it's totally different. They're both guitar modelers, uh, but they do a different job. Um, and with that in mind, I think I'm a Kemper guy. I, you know, I have a room full of amps here. Um, I record a whole lot of different tones all the time, uh, and being able to use those and capture those moments that are really, really cool, uh, whether it's to use them again later on the same record as a form of quality control, uh, or to give to the artist so that they can sound have that same sound live that they did in the studio. Um, I think that's, that's where the Kemper shines for me. So anyway, guitars, uh, I think to wrap this up, even to say, uh, I love the Kemper, but it's not going to replace all of my amps. I think it'll replace most of my amps. Uh, and it will, I think a lot of my pedals will probably get put on reverb. Um, or eBay, or insert whatever secondhand music equipment site you want to uh, here relatively soon. Because after playing with it, I just, man, the world's a-changing. Don't you know it? Huh. Well, anyway, some final thoughts. As a guitar player, guitar can be the most fun and the least fun instrument to record in the studio. It's not the one thing I look to. It's not It's not a good time. A lot of times, guitar players, there's not a ton of room for creativity, uh, especially when a group comes in and has their parts totally written out. Um, and a lot of times, they it's, it's, it's a whole process of fixing a lot of problems. Um, but man... Once you get those the good instruments and the good players uh, and just that perfect equation of this is the right guitar in the right set of hands on the right song makes you love the whole process again. So if you're struggling and getting bad guitar tones, don't worry. It may get better. It probably won't. <laughs> Even those of us who have done this a while, we still struggle and there's no set on what a great guitar tone is it always changes take a listen to records through the decades man guitars just constantly sound different take a listen to records through the year this last year what's popular in a guitar tone is constantly changing someone's idea of what a good good guitar tone is across different genres can be vastly vastly different um it's one of those areas, there's no right or wrong answer. There's a whole lot of taste involved. There's a whole lot of opinion. There's a whole lot of voodoo here. And But man, who doesn't love to play guitar? <laughs> love-hate relationship with those six strings or seven strings. 
or eight strings. But man, not a nine string. No way. Get out of here. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. As always, check out the website, recordingstudioloser.com. Send us an email. I love reading them. Um, thanks for those who have read. I, I'm always constantly shocked at the people who want to listen to this severely inconsistent podcast. <laughs> but uh, hey, take it easy. I'll catch you next time. Bye.